Thank you, Nathan, and everyone on the worship team for that wonderful time of worship. Remembering that it is the Lord who does the work, right? The Spirit who does the work in us, forms us, cares for us, cares for our world. We really appreciate that. At this time, I would remind the kids it's time to go to Kids Zone, and it's time for all the middle schoolers to go up to the youth room to pack the MCC school kits. Um, you can make your way out. So we have a couple of guest speakers today, Gil and Shelley Duick, who are going to be giving us updates on Columbia and Columbia. What, you might say? Well, as many of you know, uh, we support the work in the country of Columbia through our Mennonite global partner organizations. Uh, work specifically in Kazuka on the outskirts of Bogota and the western province of Choco. So our lead pastor, David Esau, went on a learning tour in 2013, was very impacted by that time and has shared with us on a number of occasions the work that we've been doing there. And we were supporting um, the Bonillas also who were working there at that time. While Shelley uh, Durek, who will be speaking on Colombia, also went on a learning tour in 2019. And so she's going to be touching on her experience there and giving us an update on the country of Colombia. Uh, Shelley works with MCCBC, though she was seconded to uh, Mennonite Disaster Services to help organize all the repair work and the uh, work after the flooding last year. But she tells me she's back at MCC, right? So. And um, Gil Duek is the academic dean at Columbia Bible College. So he will be giving us an update on CBC. And I had an opportunity to see him connect with Jessica. So he was the academic dean at Bethany, uh, the MB College um, in Saskatchewan. Thank you. I'm like, Winnipeg? That's not right. Saskatchewan. And so it was nice to see them uh, connect with that. So he'll be giving us an update on Columbia. And Shelley, I'm going to invite you up to talk about Columbia first. Good morning. Good morning. Um, thank you for having us today. Uh, every time I have the opportunity to visit at a church, one of my favorite parts is actually before and after the service. Um, this part up here is, is important, but the more important part is connecting with um, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, hearing stories, finding ways that we connect, and that we have things in common. And so thank you. Uh, I had the opportunity to connect connect with a number of people already this morning to learn more about this community and uh, we're grateful to be here this morning. Um, so, perfect. <laughs> I just want to make sure that we were, we were together. So today I stand before you. Uh, I've been serving with MCC since 2018. We moved to British Columbia from Saskatchewan in 2017 and I found myself in a place of, hmm, I wonder what what I would like to do with my, my, this new time, this new province, um, where could I use my gifts that have been given to me by God? And um, MCC is a, this was kind of a, uh, kind of a rebirthing for me. So I grew up, MCC was a part of my life as a young child. Uh, my parents ran the MCC festivals in Alberta when it was in the north. And uh, so we as kids would run around for that day and it was the most fun. Uh, we would 
bring quilts and eat food, and all of our friends that we knew from across the province would come, and it was a really great time. And I, my memory of MCC kind of faded a little bit in my young adult years. And then all of a sudden I had this opportunity to reconnect with MCC in an in a official role. And so I began um, coordinating the um, MCC relief sale, but now called the festival in BC. Um, and so that was my first, first year and a bit of working together with MCC, coordinating um, the event at Tradex. Quickly, I turned to, or I was asked to consider another role of engaging with churches, um, to tell the MCC story, to remind people of the work that MCC is doing. And I'm so very happy to be able to, to do that this morning. Um, in November of 2019, um, I had the opportunity to go with MB pastors um, to Colombia and to participate in learning about the work that MCC is doing there and engaged in there with the church. Um, the, the churches, the MC and the MB churches in Columbia invited MCC to join them. It wasn't that MCC requested, but they said MC they asked MCC to join them. So it's a collective partnership in, in every respect um, in Colombia. Sorry, I just had to flip. Wrong side. There we go. <laughs> Next slide, please. So I just wanted to give a quick update of what, where MCCC is and what we're doing. So MCC is currently um, active in 45 countries around the globe. Um, we work with 381 partners. And so MCC's work is all about partnership, all about working with the local context, listening, um, gaining expertise through the people that are on the ground living there, often churches, sometimes NGOs, um, sometimes other partners. But that is the basis of MCC's work um, around the globe. We also uh, offer domestic programming. So within Canada, within BC, we run uh, end abuse program which ministers to women who are ex experiencing intimate partner um, abuse. Also working with, in this case, uh, the other side of that relationship with, uh, in, with men, men's groups, um, offering healthy relationship groups. Um, and we also work in migration and resettlement. So this is not a story that is new to this congregation um, and has become Part of my story as well, as I've shifted from church work to working with the Migration and Resettlement Program. Um, and so MCC is a sponsorship agreement holder with the Government of Canada, and we offer private sponsorship. I'll touch more on that later. Um, locally, we also operate a Homeless Prevention Outreach Program, um, an Indigenous Neighbors Program, um, that offers opportunities to churches and local groups to build relationships within their own communities. One of the next slide, please. The one of the next questions that we ask is, why do we serve? So MCC serves because in Luke 10, we're called to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. As Jesus. As, as Christ followers, we are called to share and live out the gospel, the good news. And Jesus calls us to do this by being a neighbor. And so oftentimes I look at this and I, and in my own context, in my neighborhood, um, when I, I have the opportunity to coach sports teams, um, what is my call as a neighbor? And we do this 
both personally, but also MCC does this as an organization. To be a witness to the world of his love, his goodness, his grace, and generosity. Uh, MCC's priorities, I just wanted to quickly touch on that. I don't know um, how much everybody is aware of that, but we have three priorities. Um, relief, sustainable development, and peace building. Um, our relief work often shows up in emergencies, whether it be natural disaster or human-initiated emergencies, um, in the, in the, with resources of food, water, kits, relief kits, comforters, uh, household supplies, staples, and uh, funds, whether it be rent or whatever it might be. Um, sustainable development, MCC works in the areas of health, education, conservation, agriculture, and uh, water. Uh, and then in the peace building priority, um, MCC works at conflict mediation. Uh, we form kids clubs, kids, 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 pro kids programming, and uh, peace workshops at churches within prisons in different countries. We have new partners and um, within refugee camps. Next slide, please. So to the reason I'm here to talk today is about Colombia. In November of 2019, uh, we landed in Bogota. We spent a little bit of time at the MCC office there, um, gaining, I would call, a master's degree level of overview of what is currently going on in Colombia, the, the politics, the community context, the church partnerships, what is going on in the country, and it was very rich because it gave us context as we boarded a plane and flew um, to um, Istmina, or actually flew to Quibdo, and then we took a bus, um, and if you've ever traveled in Colombia, uh, it's an interesting trip, but uh, so informing, to Istmina, and there we began to um, visit and to get to know the culture in a very, very short, short period of time, but it, as Dave said, it was just so impacting. Um, the trip changed me, it changed my perspective, and so I'm so grateful to be able to share that with you today. Um, so, we basically traveled with um, four pastors um, throughout the next couple of days while we were in Istmina. Um, uh, we traveled into the Choco and then by riverboat and uh, you'll see some pictures of that in a moment, riverboat down to Bocas de Ceruco and Bebedo. Um, and truly on this trip, uh, we were covered by the protection of the MC and the MB churches and their pastors and our God. Um, and I'll speak more to that in a moment. Um, as you can see in that photo, if you can see that little red star, um, this was the location of the first MB church in Istmina. It is no longer there, but we did tour there, we went there, and um, this church was a beacon of hope and light, um, and since has grown, but this was the first location of the church. And like I said before, MCC partners exclusively with the church in Colombia. Next slide, please. We had the opportunity to travel with four pastors. Uh, Pastor Rutilio, Pastor Havas, Pastor Americano, and Pastor Fernando. Um, the church continues to be a beacon of hope in Colombia. Columbia, um, and outside of the church, often, um, there is little hope, widespread corruption, 
uh, abuse and violence at every level. The church in Colombia is Christ's love, acceptance, role modeling of right relationship, the meeting of needs, all holistic needs, physical, emotional, and spiritual. And from the words of the pastors, I think it was Pastor Americano who is on the your right. Um, I think he's the one that said that the work of MCC and the church cannot be separated. It is the good news of Jesus. Jesus' compassion for the least of these, taking care of the widow and the orphan, and sharing Christ is his love for a otherwise forgotten people. And that was a phrase that was often used. Um, people would say, we thought you forgot about us. There was a point in time where all of the churches moved out of Colombia, out of this Choco region, and not with a lot of explanation, but they moved out um, to go to other locations. And these pastors in this community felt forgotten. And so there has been, I think in 2013 when you were there, it was the beginnings of this partnership again. And, um, and just people coming to see, to hear the stories, to be present, to pray, to gather together with um, these pastors in these communities was a blessing that we, I, I couldn't have even imagined, and I couldn't have, I couldn't even describe it to you, but just by coming and showing up, and to say, we see you, we want to hear your story, we want to be able to retell your story. So I'll just tell a, a few stories. Um, the next slide is a, begins um, down after about an hour riverboat ride in the community of Boco, or sorry, Boca de Ceruco. Um, there's a partner called Fagrotes. This is a partner that has developed out of the need of the church. Um, in the churches in the, down the river, uh, agriculture is the way that people are able to um, provide for themselves. This is how they make, they make money, create revenue, develop their community, is they are farmers. Um, and so the main, the main crop was uh, from a product called co sorry, I was, coca, which is the plant that produces the drug cocaine. And so there were people in the church that were both trying to grow um, ed edible grow crops and this other crop. And the church wanted to be able to provide an, uh, an opportunity and an alternative for the farmers in their churches. And so Pastor Havas and Pastor Utelio um, dreamed up this idea that they would be able to provide an alternative. This alternative is the, uh, the growing of rice and coca, which is cocoa beans. Um, and so Fergrotis now partners with 120 farmers. Many of them are a part of the church. Some of them are not. Um, along the San Juan River, providing them with seed, supplies, training, and market support for the product that they produce. This is a wonderful part, pro, or the, this is a wonderful partnership, but it does not come without complexities. Um, as the farmers began to make money from these crops, these cash crops, um, the armed groups in the area became very interested on how they could get their cut. Nothing goes on without the knowing of the armed groups in the area because the, the, the community is, is um, surrounded by it. 
so the armed groups did come in person and demanded that Fergotas pay a war tax. But the church, Pastors Rutilio and Pastor Havas, made it clear that the church's values do not allow them to support any paramilitary or gang activities, that they are for peace and they are for the people. You can shift to the next slide. Um, they refused to pay. Uh, they refused to pay because what they were doing was for the good of the whole community. Um, but if the armed groups demanded that they stop, then they would. The armed groups were very upset that immediately they didn't concede and say that they would pay the, the war tax. Um, and they threatened Pastor Rutilio and Pastor Havas. And this, this, is, this is the peace work that happens. This was not an idle threat. This is a threat. And these two pastors stood up um, and defended the work of peace, the work of love, and the work that Christ was doing in the community. Um, expectantly and very surprised, unexpectedly and very surprisingly, they phoned back. After they'd done a little bit of research um, and said that they would not be demanding this tax. The arm, sorry, two members of their armed group came back to Pastor Rotelia and Pastor Havis and apologized, which was also very surprising, that the spirit had worked in and amongst them, that they would come back and ask for forgiveness, for involving the church in the conflict. They had gone and done a little bit of research on what MCC was doing in the wider community and quickly found out that the partnerships that MCC had been doing in the community, um, every flood, every year it floods along the San Juan River, who was the first to be there to support the community, to offer food, to replace household supplies? They were the first to come and to indiscriminately care for the community who these are the members of the armed groups were a part of. They received MCC's aid personally. Um, so they decided to grant Ferrotes permission to do business, to travel on the river, and that they would no longer interfere with, uh, with their work and require payment. And this was the protection that our group was under as we traveled to the San Juan area, San Juan River area. Um, they did not tell this us till the, they don't tell us till after, but as we were traveling down the river, on the river boats, along the way they said, there are armed group members watching these boats, survey, surveying what's going on on the river, and they know we're here. They know what we're doing, they know we have guests. But because we are with you, because they know our work, because we have a relationship there, we were able to continue and to be able to travel and to learn about the work that MCC was doing in the area. Next slide. I just wanted to give a quick little glimpse into what is being grown. So these, this is a, a coca, cacao, sorry, cacao bean, which produces cocoa. Um, and so this is a ripe bean that has been picked, and they take all those, those little pieces out and they dry them. Um, next slide, please. The, yeah, so this is the dried beans, and basically they put it in a greenhouse, and this greenhouse gets to 50 degrees, and it just dries the beans out, and they turn brown, the color of cocoa. Um, so 
the vision that Forgotos has will, is that they will become self-sustaining, that they will generate funds that can be used for the good of the community, and they're planning, and they have actually started their own business that sells chocolate. So they take these beans, they process them, and they are now selling a chocolate bar. I actually tried to, tried to from this, our, my, my connections there, tried to get chocolate bars here that we could purchase, but there's a lot of logistics that didn't allow for that to happen. Um, and so far, I haven't been able to find a way to do that. But the vision is that they can now use these uh, use the revenue that is generated from the chocolate to support the community. Um, the impacts of this, of this problem, program is to, it gives dignity to farmers, supporting their families and communities in a way that is building into a future for the Choco region. Um, the impacts is that there is less engagement and opportunity not to engage with the armed conflict or the growing of illegal crops. Uh, they are also doing the work locally as they understand what makes a lasting impact. And the piece that the piecework that comes down like after all these decisions are made um, is profound. And I'm gonna touch on that now. Next slide, please. Oh, sorry. Uh, <laughs> this is also the other crop that grows rice. So this is just a photo of um, two farmers, two women that are farmers, they they grow rice. They pick it, next slide please, and they harvest it. They have a full rice processing, um, uh, rice processing plant where they process, bag, and then Fagrotes markets the rice in the local communities to, to create revenue. Um, so the piecework goes, next slide please, the piecework continues on. So we traveled then to another community further down the river. Um, um, and this is a community and they run peace clubs. And the quote from one of the staff there was, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. This quote is from Benjamin Franklin in, from 1736. So the story here is that outside of this church, it's a church, a small church in the middle of a community. Um, um, and uh, outside of this church, they used to run the peace clubs just in the, in the front area. And there was a, a gunfight in front of this church. And so um, they have had to now move the peace clubs inside the church. So within these communities, peace is not a given. Peace is something that you have to work for. It's, it's just, a, I, as I visited there, I always kind of like this whole peace building, pe the peace building perspective. I, was, I just really had to think hard about it, but after being there, um, conflict is so, has um, torn up the social fabrics of these communities. What we accept as normal is not normal there. These kids live, they walk around, there's armed co conflict around them all the time, there's conflict in their homes, relationships are broken down, um, uh, family units are broken, the children are mostly raised by women, the men are gone as they're involved with the armed conflict, and so the family, the, the so social fabric is broken down. These peace clubs are offered to children from the ages of 13 to 18 years old. Kids come. They come, they belong, they're safe, they have snacks, they play games, um, and they gather. Um, and it is beautiful. Um, the impacts of these peace clubs in the churches or in the, in the families 
are profound. The kids come, they learn about this, they learn about how to have healthy conversations, they learn about how to talk about differences, and then they go home and they do the same thing. And the parents come back to the church, to these peace clubs and say, what are you learning here? My kid is different. My kid has been changed. We want to know more too. And so this is how the peace clubs work, is that it's for kids, but the kids go home and the kids become the change agents in their family. It is beautiful. Next slide. Um, in my time there, I don't speak Spanish. I tried really hard, but um, I don't speak Spanish. But I discovered there is an international language. That is that one of Exynos. We played Exynos. I played Exynos with the kids, and pretty soon they were all telling me, I, I said, in my very bad Spanish, what is your name? And pretty soon this one girl was writing down all the names for me. So you see the list of names of the kids I was playing with on the one side and the other side. We played Exynos. And we had a great time. Um, you can communicate across language barriers. You can communicate across uh, culture. Um, and love and care and belonging and acceptance is communicated and was communicated. It was just a beautiful, beautiful moment for me. Um, coming from North America, I, was, I hadn't have really ever done too much cross-cultural um, um, traveling at all. And so these moments of being able to connect and to gain a greater understanding of the, all of the things that I don't experience on a day-to-day basis changed me and it informed me and I'm so so very grateful to be able to be a part of an organization that continues to invest and to care and to go to local partners to see what and how we can be Christ's love to them. So just a quick um, next slide please. Um, just an overview of how does change happen? How does change engage, how does MCC engage with not just Colombia, but widely um, with our partners around the world? Um, change happens primarily through long-term local action. Connection with the local and external agents participating together to address structural and systematic levels. Change happens through interactions that seek to shift balances, power, and participation. Those directly affected by what needs to change must have the loudest voice. They must be asked and have the greatest role in decision-making about what needs to change and how. Interaction between diverse people stimulates and enables change. MCC's role is one of a bridge builder and supportive in connecting networks together to try to affect the most change. And change needs to happen taking long-term implications into account, and the, mean, and the means of generating change needs to be coherent with the de desired change. We had the privilege of just working with um, the country reps there, Neil and Elizabeth um, Miller, and they were just wonderful. They had children, they moved their whole family there, and they were there for six years. And it was just beautiful because their, their desire to really partner and listen to the voices of the, of the partners and the people and the church leaders was, was wonderful. I think I'm over time. <laughs> um, okay, just briefly, I wanted to touch on what my current work is um, at MCC. I've shifted to working with, from church work, not that I don't connect with churches, but more specifically with our local programs to working with the Migration and Resettlement Program. 
um, in resettling newcomers to Canada. Today, over 82 million people are forcibly displaced around the world today. It is a staggering number, a staggering number. Um, but MCC is present and wanting to be active, not only locally, but as we work and have country offices around the world, we are engaged in refugee camps. We are engaged in helping the neediest, most vulnerable people find the things that they need to, um, to, to live day by day. And so we are grateful to be able to provide that support. Um, and so this is also the refugee story, is the story of Eagle Ridge. Um, next slide, please. Um, I just want to give a few stats. My next slide will actually be more specific, specific to Eagle Ridge. Um, but MCC works as a sponsorship agreement holder. Um, we, in this, this is uh, reports from the 2020 to 2021. MCC had 279 refugees come to Canada through the sponsorship programs. That could be through a private sponsorship, a blended visa, or a joint assistance sponsorship. Um, the countries are highlighted there, uh, Eritrea, Iraq, Ethiopia, Pakistan were kind of the main hubs that we welcome people from, but also Afghanistan, uh, DR Congo, Myanmar, Somalia, and South Sudan. Um, it is a wide range of people. It has been my joy to um, have the opportunity to show up. Um, at the airport, to call our sponsorship groups, to offer support, to hear about their stories, to hear about the journey and the struggle that so many people around this world have. Um, in Canada, there's about 50,000 refugees are welcome to Canada. And when you compare that to the 82 million people displaced, only a few are able to come. But we know that the work we do internationally supports some of those people as well. But for the 50,000 that do make it to Canada, um, we are just so grateful to be able to, to uh, journey with them and to help them and the sponsors in, this, in, this, um, in, the, in their sponsorships. Um, next slide. So I don't know if this family is familiar to you. I had to dig back into the archives, but I tried. Uh, <laughs> and uh, so this, you, this church welcomed this family in 2016 from Syria. So Assam, I might pronounce the word. Okay, Hoda. I was going to say Hoda and their family. So thank you. Thank you for partnering. And you'll have to give me the update on how things are going. So I'm going to ask you later about how things are going. But we are just so grateful to be able to partner together with this church. And um, I also know that there's another sponsorship in the works uh, for 2022. And uh, uh, Jennifer is working on that. Um, and we are just so grateful to be able to partner with you. So as you encounter that journey, um, if you have questions as they arrive, like, so pre-arrival, pre that is Jennifer. Um, uh, when people arrive, so kind of at, when they receive their travel itinerary, their single travel document or journey document, it now becomes my kind of section of support. So I connect with you, I make sure they arrive, hopefully I'll show up at the airport and, and have the opportunity to welcome, welcome the, the new family with you. And, um, and then to support you, support you as the sponsorship goes, goes on. Um, I just wanted to make, David and I talked a little bit at the AGM, um, 
there recently, uh, the, the, the government of Canada has welcomed Ukrainians to Canada. And I just wanted to talk a little bit about that because I also had a conversation with, with John in regards to uh, Ukrainian families coming to Canada. Now, the difference between the private sponsorship and the Ukrainian visitors to Canada is that Ukrainian visitors comes, come with a three-year visiting visa. And within that visa, they are permitted many of the benefits of newcomers to Canada, but they do not gain uh, permanent residency when they arrive on Canadian soil. And so that is the, the, the distinction between our privately sponsored refugees and uh, the Ukrainians that are now coming to Canada as visitors. They have opportunity to apply for permanent residency, but they are not, that is not granted to them as they um, come to Canada. Um, and so we are currently supporting a, a project in Abbotsford because it's local to us. And um, uh, I spoke with John and he said he's in the midst of trying to welcome someone, a family. And so um, as MCC can support, we will. But I know John and I uh, chat a little bit about it. Like he's got the, the, the partnership that he has sort of arranged is that he has a place, he has furniture. But we need a little bit of hands-on help. So as people come to Canada, some of the, the significant pieces are how do people learn about how do you bank? Where do you go shopping? How do I get my kids into school? How do I find a job? What is the systems like? Where do I find health care? All of those pieces of individuals that would sign up for one thing to journey with people, to welcome them. Um, and I know that is one of the things that John had mentioned, that he can do all the logistics, but to have people come alongside and help people settle into life here um, in this community would be so very, very, very helpful. So, um, the last thing that I want to mention is a thank you. Thank you for partnering with MCC. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your prayers. Thank you for partnering with us in welcoming newcomers, in learning about the Columbia program, in um, pursuing MCC and, and being present with us to be Christ around the world. So thank you for this time. I'll be at the back if you have any more specific questions later. And I'm going to hand it over to Gil. Well, I want to begin by setting your mind at ease. We're not halfway there. <laughs> OK? Thank you, Shelley. Um, this will be a little bit more brief. But uh, actually, it's, it's interesting to hear uh, to talk about Columbia with a U after Columbia with an O, because a lot of our students, um, and it's been good to meet a few former students today, some from Bethany, some from, from Columbia, so nice to see Travis and Jessica today. Um, many of our students do end up at MCC, either doing practicums or doing internships, and there is a pretty steady traffic between Clearbrook Road and Gladys Avenue in, in Abbotsford, at least. So this partnership also extends to an institutional level. So when you as a church, partner with these bodies, that partnership spiderwebs out in a bunch of different ways that you participate in, even if you don't always see it. That is kind of the nature of partnerships. Most of us don't think about these people day by day by day. Uh, but the work that we do and the partnership that we do together, that has that kind of an impact. So I just want to give a quick Columbia update this morning. Uh, it has been uh, an interesting two years. 
to put it mildly, I'm sure that if I was to tell you that it's been a disruptive two years to run a college, you would understand what that meant. I'm sure church leaders here in the room would have similar stories from the past two years. It's been a bit of an interesting time to try to run anything that involves bringing people together over the past two years. So it has been a disruptive two years at Columbia. There's been some gifts. It's also been a fair bit of stress over the past couple of years. Um, and so this year actually feels like the first year that we're kind of coming out of that in a, in a, in a more normal kind of a way. There's been some, some benefits over the past couple of years. We've, we've realized that we can adapt. In case you didn't know, Columbia continued to meet in person for education for the entire two years, other than those first six, year, six weeks or whatever in March of 20, when everything shut down. We've been running in person for the past two years, but with a lot of limitations. And you can talk to Travis if you have any questions about how limited that was. I didn't even recognize him this morning because I saw a mask for our whole time in class together. <laughs> so. Uh, it's been a disruptive couple of years on that front, but we did realize that we could adapt. We, we pivoted to online learning and some changes in how we deliver. Uh, I think we also realized, though, the importance of face-to-face -face contact with people. I've, I've heard so many stories of post-secondary students from a bunch of institutions who said, yes, I appreciate the flexibility of online, but it's impossible to replace face-to-face. So I think we, we know that maybe with a bit more, you've heard the phrase, absence makes the heart grow fonder, probably. I think that applies here as well. Also sensing a pretty strong hunger for community among people who've been apart for a while. Bible college and community, these kind of go hand in hand. If you ask somebody what's good about Bible college, they'll often say community. And it's almost like a cliche. In fact, often it is a cliche, until you don't have it anymore. And that's what I think all of us have experienced over the past couple of years in different ways. When you lose that sense of what it means to be together, it increases the hunger. And I think that we are, we are seeing that among our students as well. And finally, I think we, we've realized that the greatest treasure that we can offer our students is Jesus. Again, that, that can sound like a little bit of a cliche, but after two years where so much has been in a blender, questions of, of personal identity, questions of the purpose of what's happening around us, Questions of where do we anchor our hope? These are all questions that are ultimately and most deeply answered only in Jesus Christ. And so this is a good reminder for us. These are all things that we knew, but now we know in a different way, I think, in the aftermath of these past two years. So I'm going to ask, uh, uh, I'm sorry, at the back, <laughs> don't even know a name, for, for a short video. This is all footage from this past September. So think about this as, oh, sorry, it's already going. Think about, this is all footage from this past September. So this is pretty fresh uh, pictures here. Uh, I look at this as kind of a return to normal and I, I'll, it gives you a glimpse into, into, into Columbia life this fall. A family friend told me about CBC. As soon as I started praying over this decision, I just felt like incredible peace over it. I've seen God's provision through finances, through passionate friends and community, and the profs who deeply care about each and every one of their students and what they're teaching. The classes are fairly small, which allows you to get to know the professors pretty well on a one-on-one -on -one level, and they're all very open to having coffee with you and chatting with you about any questions that you have. It's a very tight-knit community and you get to know lots of people and there's really intentional relationships created and it's just really cool being around like-minded people who want to pursue God together and also have a great time. I came to Christ in my first year of CBC. 
Through coming to know Jesus, I've really saw my character develop into a person that more so aligns with who I want to be. So a person who's more patient, who's more humble, who's more kind to others. CBC is the place where I was given the chance to grow and really focus on growing. Not just learn about the Bible, but learn about how it applies to me in my life. It's given me the confidence to use my voice and to use my voice, especially as a woman in biblical studies. One of the big things I've learned at CBC is how to be vulnerable and that vulnerability is key to growing and building relationships. As a small school, you can't just be a part of one thing. Everything is interconnected and just able to be a part of everything that goes on at CBC and be interconnected with every aspect of it, every program. The community here truly is amazing. You get amazing relationships with your professors, with your friends that you're going to make here. For me as an athlete with my, all of my teammates and my coaches as well. CBC offers the opportunity for young people to be fully known. And a big quote around here is to be fully known is to be fully loved. My time here at CBC has really transformed my faith. Coming here has forced me to be more practical in my faith, that it actually has to be lived out. Faith has to be something that's a part of everything. Our coaches here are really committed to building an amazing program, really developing strong Christ-centered athletes instead of just great athletes. We want to really be Christ-centered here at CBC. The level that you're learning about biblical studies here is quite high, but along with that, community is also really important at CBC. And so I found that while they were very focused on the academic side of learning about the Bible, there was also this emphasis of application and that I was able to take part in a community that was close. I really appreciated that I had both community and academics in one space. So just as we wrap up here, a um, quick couple of practical updates about the college this fall. We have 320 students on campus this fall, which is down a little bit for us, which I think we'd like to see higher. Uh, what I've heard from faculty and staff across the board, though, has been um, a pretty consistent theme of a highly engaged, energetic group of people who are really committed to being there and who want to be there for the reasons that I think are are good reasons. And so it's been a really energetic start to the year, even more than I would say I've experienced in the past. A couple of highlights of what's ahead for the year. Uh, Shelley mentioned MDS, I think, briefly. Uh, we actually have a, a group of students heading down to Paradise, California. Has anybody been to Paradise? Maybe not. Uh, anyways, there's a devastating fire a couple of years back there. I think it was 2018 or so. So uh, MDS put out a call for a funded, uh, partially funded trip where students could use their spring break uh, to head down there and, and help rebuild some of the houses down there. We've already filled up a, a group of 15 and they're already contemplating a second group to go down in, uh, in spring break next March. So that's really exciting. Um, and then on a more practical note, this past September we also saw the resignation of our president, Brian Bourne. So I don't know if you know Brian or if you know who he is, but this is a president who served for 10 years at Columbia and 18 years in total at the college. He was a faculty member before that. So it's a big transition year for us. Brian's gonna be finishing out this academic year and leaving at the end of April, I think. So you can be in prayer for us as we discern next steps, uh, as, as we kind of chart the college into this post-pandemic future that we're entering. Um, we're excited. It's, it's, very, it's a huge blessing to have a front row seat to what God's doing in the lives of young adults but we're also at a pivotal stage. And so I invite your prayers and your support. We are your school. We want to inspire the faith of the next generation. We want to prepare leaders for tomorrow's church. 
And we want to partner with you as we do that. So we're grateful for this church, grateful for your support, and for this time when we can be together. So I think I'll stop there and pass it back to Ariel here. Thank you, Shelley and Gil, for sharing with us about what God is doing in Colombia, in Colombia, and whether the Spirit is moving around the world, making peace and hope and rest, as we just sang, right? We have found our hope, our peace, and our rest in the one who loves, and MCC is doing that around the world. And we, our church, gives to that as part of your tithing. You give to that ministry around the world. You are directly involved in that partnership, and so thank you for that. If you would like prayer after the service, we always have a prayer team here who would be happy to pray with you, uh, the staff. David, myself, Yosef, would be happy to pray for you if you have any requests or any needs or any praise items. Reminder that the Advent Choir rehearsal happens directly after the service as well. You've got, a, you've got one minute to get your coffee, and then you come in here and we are... Ryan's going to keep us on track, aren't you, Ryan? Yes, excellent. And I would like to leave you with a benediction. Um, oh, dear, I closed my Bible. Now I've got to find it. As you go, bringing the hope and the rest and the peace of the one who loves. Romans 12, 12 says, be confident in hope, be patient in trouble, and keep on praying. Go in peace. <laughs>